God is good all the time. It is wonderful to be back on from vacation. It's equally and even more joyously wonderful to be back to start my 27th year here as the pastor of Christ Church. We've got a couple things we'd like to share with you. This is the time of year when people are moving in. So you've probably had neighbors move out. Now people are going to start moving in. You're going to see new people show up at work. One of the visions we had for our bookstore is that our bookstore would help equip us to be witnesses. So one of the things that the bookstore has put together, let's say you got some new neighbors. This is a basket, a gift basket. It's a welcome basket. You can pick one up in the bookstore. They run various prices depending on what they have in them. But this one has a Christchurch, one of these. It's got, of course, an invitation. It's got some uh, chips. It's got some uh, jelly. It's got a little journal. It's just a welcome to the neighborhood. We're glad you're here. We would love to invite you to church. If these folks have some children, we've got these uh, buckets, little sand bucket looking things. They got some kids toys and that type of thing. And again, an invitation to church. Let's reach out to our neighbors. Let's offer those invites to church. And there's probably not a more strategic invite you can make than someone who's just moving in to the neighborhood because they'll be looking for a great church. And I believe we have one right here. All right. Oh, good. Come on, Aaron. I didn't know what would happen with these. I was, I was hoping. I, I didn't think they were going to leave on their own, but I'm glad to be rid of them. Let's get going. Over my break, I played golf with my dad in Nashville, Illinois. It's a well-kept public nine-hole course. And then in between rounds, we proceed to the Bonnie Cafe in Nashville. The Bonnie Cafe is a buffet kind of place where you can get what we Southern Illinoisans call food regular people eat. It's the kind of food that grandma made, except for my grandma, Helen, who made TV dinners. It's the kind of place where they don't ask you how you want your fish. You want your fish fried. It's the only way they serve it. It's the kind of place where you don't have to ask for ketchup. And they don't give you little packets. Everyone wants ketchup and a lot of it. My dad is a regular. When in the cafe, the person in charge approached me as I was going to the buffet line, said in a really pleasant voice, you're Fred's son. And I smiled because I never really know what's coming next. <laughs> and she continued, we love your dad here. Every time he walks in, he brings positive energy with him. He lifts us all up. You know, I got thinking about that. What dad brings is the joy of the Lord. It just sort of walks with him. It's also accompanied by a lot of compliments. He tells them how good the food is and, and how much he enjoys their service and, and being there. My dad is the best buffet tipper you've ever seen in your whole life. That probably doesn't hurt either. But, but who doesn't want some of that? In this world that seems so determined just to grind us down and to beat us down, who doesn't want some of that? And as a kid, we had this little song that we used to sing. 
Now, when choruses first came out, they got criticized a lot because the lyrics weren't very complex or theological. This chorus is going to prove that wrong because this has highly theological and really complex lyrics. And I'm going to invite you to sing with me because you already know it even if you've never heard it. It went just like this. The joy of the Lord is my strength. 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 And they used to say that lyrics repeated themselves in those courses. All right, you're on with me. You ready? Are you all ready to go? You got a little energy here? All right, here we go. Let's sing. The joy of the Lord is my strength. 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 Do you know any joy of the Lord people? These folks are emotionally buoyant. They rejoice by choice. They have the ability to brighten the moods of those around them. You know what I call these folks? Human air fresheners. I want to be a person like that. I, I want to be around people like that. I want to teach people to be like that. And I want to lead a church full of people like that. When we invite people to Christ Church with our 500 initiative, we're inviting them into a relationship with Jesus. We're inviting them into a life-giving faith community. A perfect community? There aren't any of those. But it is a life-giving faith community. Jesus said in John 10, 10, I've come that you might have life and have life abundantly. The abundant life is a life of purpose and peace and passion and power. And we're going to call this life this summer the soul salsa, a dancing soul. The soul salsa is Christianity with a song in its heart, some pep in its step, a smile on its face, and some faith, hope, and love flying all over the place. That's the outcome. But how do you get there? Particularly if you feel a long way from what I just described right now. How do you get there? I want to tell you straight up, people who do the soul salsa don't do so because they naturally have a better disposition than you. People that do the soul salsa don't do so because nothing's ever gone wrong in their life. People that do the soul salsa have worked through a process. And that process is what I want to talk about today. Last summer, we did this series. We covered Psalms 1 through 9. This summer, we'll begin with Psalm 10, and we will push on. For the purpose of the series, we've got five definitions. You'll find these familiar if you were here last summer. Number one, soul, the essence of every human being. It's just our essence. Number two, salsa, an upbeat, exciting dynamic and attractive life. If your life's like this, you're not doing what I'm talking about, all right? We're talking about an attractive life. Number three, church, an exciting place where lives are transformed. Number four, a Christian, a disciple of Jesus Christ filled with spirit, passion, creativity, and life. 
And five, ministry, the heart-pounding, dynamic work we do as the physical presence of Jesus Christ. That's our end game. That's what we are aiming for in this series. This is about how to get there. Psalm 10 deals with a single question that's been asked of God for centuries. If you are in control, then why are the rats winning the rat race? The psalm opens with a cry to God, laments the apparent success of evil people, closes with renewed confidence in the ultimate deliverance of of God's people and the ultimate defeat of the wicked. David opens by expressing distance. Distance. I remember the first time I heard the Carol King song, You're So Far Away. Has God ever just seemed far away? Webster defines distance as an interval of space or time. In many ways, distance has been effectively erased in this new world. And in other ways, we are further apart than ever. In September of next year, I will lead a pilgrimage to Turkey and Greece. We're going to follow the steps of the Apostle Paul. We're going to explore the letters to the seven churches in Revelation. Several of you have already signed up. You can get some uh, information out in the Welcome Center. I can't wait. It'll be September of next year. This trip would have been a dangerous multi-month trek 100 years ago. We're going to complete the whole thing in two weeks. Facebook posts, emails, text messages that we send from Turkey or Greece are going to show up instantly right here in the good old U.S. of A. In this new world... We have never been closer. And yet despite our great advances in erasing distance in the realm of travel and communication, we are in a dark age in the realm of the relational and the spiritual. People are fractured and fragile and disoriented. It was bad before COVID. It's terrible now. Have you noticed how quickly people fly off and become unhinged these days? A myriad of dysfunctions surrounding family make our relational lives so complex. Just deciding who to invite to a kid's birthday party can be a gut-wrenching nightmare. We can't maintain healthy relationships. We can't deal with disappointments or renegotiate setbacks. So we capitulate to lifeless living. We get lost in our own heads. We try to find some fleeting sense of purpose as we numb our pain. With each broken vow, shattered dream, neglected duty, and abandoned promise, things become more and more complicated. And we find ourselves less and less able to cope. As a result, we are isolated, disconnected from healthy things. And may I say, increasingly desperate. In this new world, we've never been further away or further apart. For all the potential Christianity offers, I believe too many churches have done a poor job in erasing the distance in the spiritual realm. I see people in pews who are spirit-starved and desperate for the hope that Christ alone provides. But many of our churches would prefer to talk about things other than the gospel. And many of our Christian leaders seemingly would prefer to be activists and politicians. 
Our society longs for universal truth, a moral compass, a non-manipulative template for love, a pathway to hope and reconciliation and forgiveness, but too few churches offer what the church should exclusively offer, Christ and Christ alone. Bumper stickers read, Jesus saves, but sometimes I wonder if we don't need save most of all. We often seem far more concerned about addressing our political sensibilities than evangelism. We've mistaken social agendas for the kingdom of God. We're more concerned about personal preference of the people within the church than the spiritual needs of the people in the world. Churches have become distracted, soft, secularized, and whiny. And we've lost our light, and we can't figure out where we've put the salt. The declining American church has forgotten her mission is to make disciples of Jesus Christ. She has not defended the faith, championed strong Christology, insisted on biblical truth, called for repentance, or showed transforming love to the world. And as a result, people have created God in their own image. And when God doesn't meet the job description they have prepared for him, they're disappointed with this distant God who seems unwilling to do our bidding The Bible declares that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So I want to assure you of something this morning. If God seems far away, it's not God who has moved. I'm going to say that one more time. If God seems far away, it is not God who has moved. One thing I love about the Psalms is their brutal, no bars hold honesty. Everything I was told as a child that I shouldn't say or shouldn't question is said and questioned in the Psalms. All of it. In Psalm 10, David asks why God is hiding. He critiques God's work in the world. He offers improved marketing strategies to God. And he says to God things we don't even allow ourselves to think. He confesses things that would make a sailor blush. And shockingly, for all of his trouble, he ends up being declared a man after God's own heart. What is up with that? So what can we learn from David about disappointment and pain and our ongoing frustration that often asks what we dare not ask? God, if you are so good, why are things so bad? I'm going to suggest we can learn quite a lot from the Psalms. And I'm going to suggest until we answer that question, we'll never live the soul salsa life. We'll never live it. First one, oh Lord, why are you so far away? Why do you hide when I need you most? Shockingly, David is building a case against God. He's arguing that God is not being taken seriously by the world at large. And now he's going to present Evidence of God's apparent absence. Are you ready? He's saying, God, here's the evidence that people who don't believe in you use against you. First of all, the poor are oppressed. The wrong people are succeeding. People think you are dead. Do you remember when they declared that God is dead? I think it made a magazine. The wicked get away with evil. People are speaking evil. The helpless crumble underneath the weight of the wicked. And the wicked think you are not watching. That's David's case. That's what he's saying to God. 
I shudder when I think of these things. And yet, have you ever heard a hardcore saint of the Lord pray? I'm going to say it one more time. Have you ever heard a hardcore saint of the Lord pray? Not, not somebody that sounds like they just got off the Mayflower and, and they're praying in Puritan. I'm not talking that. I'm just talking a hardcore, grizzled saint of God. You ever hear them pray? I don't mean the first hour. I mean after that. Have you ever heard them pray? They don't talk to God like the rest of us do. They pray as one who is known by God and personally and intimately knows God. They have weathered the storms of life. And they're somehow both grizzled and faithful. Their prayers often sound like an old married couple arguing than what we hear in church. These old saints have lost their filters and their prayers can be direct and candid and indelicate. I've prayed with prayer warriors. I would say their prayers are sometimes even disturbing. Such guttural prayers remind us that God can handle our frustration. I need you to hear it. God can handle our frustration. God can handle our doubt. God can handle our disappointment. And as we find the courage to express these things to God, we find ourselves struggling on one hand, I get it, but we find ourselves becoming transformed on the other hand. You want to find the soul salsa, you're gonna have to walk this path. Verse 12, arise, O Lord. Arise! David is now praying to release the power of the Lord in time and space. Arise, O Lord! But to be frank, David's really telling God how he can do his job better. Now, I know a lot about this because everybody tells me how I can do my job better, right? Everybody tells Oliver Marmol how he can do his job better, right? Everybody! So now David is telling God how he can do his job better. Here we go. God, you'd do a better job if you just did these things and my advice and consulting fees are free. Here we go. Punish the wicked, verse 12. Shut their cursing mouths. I like that one. I do, I like that one. Shut them up. Defend the helpless, verse 14. Break the arms destroy every one of them. You say, that doesn't sound very Christian. This is a pre-Christian prayer. Jesus hasn't come yet. This is just guttural. Break their arms and destroy every one of them. Sweep false gods from the land and bring justice to the oppressed so they don't have to be afraid. As I've pondered Psalm 10, I've reached back into my own personal history. And I've gathered up just some questions that I hear over and over and over in the course of ministry. And they're, they're questions that people ask in those times when, when God seems far away, when the world seems unjust, when everything just seems so unhinged. 
and you don't know where to turn and you don't know what to do. Let me just address a couple of questions. When God seems far away, first of all, why do the rats keep winning the rat race, right? It's like you died and went to an Atlanta rhythm section song. Why do the rats keep winning the rat race? Well, here's the answer. Because the rat race is for rats. Good people don't win the rat race. It wasn't built for us. We are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. The values of the kingdom of heaven are mutually exclusive to this world and to the rat race. So the reality is you can't win them both. You're just going to have to choose. Number two, if God's so good, why are things so bad? It seems fair. God created a perfect world that gave humanity the gift of free will. Sin is what we've chosen for ourselves, not what God created for us. The goodness we see in this fallen world is an echo of what once was. It's evidence of God with us and a harbinger of a restoration still to come. The atheist looks at this world and says, if there were a God, things wouldn't be bad. The Christian looks at this world and says, were it not for God, everything would be bad. We've made this mess for ourselves. Flip Wilson, a comedian when I was a kid, used to say, the devil made me do it. The devil doesn't need much help. People are plenty dumb all on their own. Question, why doesn't God stop atrocities from happening? Free will's a door that swings both ways. If God were to stop all bad things in a micro sense, we simply would no longer be creatures of free will. But I needed to hear that just because God does not stop tragedies from happening, it does not mean that God is indifferent to your pain. And it doesn't mean that the wicked won't one day be destroyed. And it doesn't mean that justice won't one day come. Question. Is sin the only cause of spiritual distance? No. No. Sometimes it is caused by God-ordained wilderness experiences. These are the times in life where we either get out or grow up. In the Bible, the wilderness refers to the desert. And it was there that people like Abraham and Moses asked, Who is God and what business does God have with me? Our wilderness times are crucibles where we are forged by fire. And we will either become men and women of God or like an unripened grape, we will squirt out from underneath the thumb of God. We can shorten our time in the wilderness or we cannot shorten our time in the wilderness. I think it's really salient. There are times we are all going to be in the spiritual wilderness. And we, 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 can't, we can't avoid those times that God needs us there. But I, I'm going to tell you, we can certainly lengthen the amount of time we spend in the wilderness. By failing to learn what God's trying to teach us. You know, Jesus after he was baptized, Holy Spirit came upon him. Do you know what, where he goes next? To the wilderness, to be tempted by the devil. Jesus had to go there. He wasn't going there because he was out of God's will. That's where God had him go. 
He had to spend that time in the wilderness. He needed to pass that test before he was ready for the next thing. He needed to be refined by that fire. But he didn't stay there forever. We will all spend time in the wilderness, but we are not intended to live there. Some of you have taken up residence in the wilderness, and I want to declare to you in the name of the Lord, it is time to collapse your tent and to get out of the wilderness and enter the abundant life that God has always had waiting for you. Last question. How do I get to the soul salsa dance floor? How do I get from where I am, which may be a really bad place, to where God wants me to be? Get honest with yourself. You want to know a great place to start? Right here. It's not everybody else. I remember a spiritual we used to sing when I was a kid. It's not my brother. It's not my sister. But it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. That's a prayer God can do something with. So often our prayers is, God, it's them. Lord, if it wasn't for them, I got to tell you something. I've discovered the problem. The problem's me. And when we take responsibility for our own lives, now we're in a position God can do something in us. As long as we're always blaming everybody else and everybody's against me and we always need to call the ambulance and all this stuff, goodness, stop it. Let's just stop, square up, set our jaws and look into the presence of a holy God and say, it's not my brother and it's not my sister, but it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer and God is going to say, finally, we're ready to get somewhere. Repent of your sin. But Lord, I'm more interested in the sins of others. Stop it. Repent of your sin. And turn to God with all your heart. You say, well, pastor, I've got issues. Take those to the Lord. I certainly don't want to hear them. Take them to the Lord. He can handle it. God, I've got issues. Take them to the Lord. Has anyone not noticed that David took all his issues to the Lord? The Lord didn't even put out a suggestion box. David made one and filled it up. Take your issues to the Lord and then turn to God with all of your heart. With all of your heart. I love the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego story that Ashley Cooper told so wonderfully. But I, I love the idea that the, the great... And mighty king decided everybody's going to worship him. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, nope. That seems to be my general reaction when I read stuff or hear stuff these days. Nope. Nope. They said, nope. I said, no, everybody needs to worship this huge statue I've made. Nope. Well, if you don't, we're going to throw you in a furnace and burn you to death. So they have them up on the furnace. They're getting ready to toss them in. And I love Love this statement. It's one of the great statements of all time. You can throw us in your fiery furnace and our God will protect us. And even if he doesn't, we're not going to worship your idol. You want to be invincible 
get there. Even if he doesn't. You sick? Say, God, I believe you're going to heal me. But even if you don't, I will praise you forever. Got problems in your family? Got things cross-threaded? God, I believe you can work this out. But even if you don't, you are my Lord and you are my God. Man, when we get there, we're getting somewhere. Pour out your heart to God. God can handle your hurt. God can handle your pain. God can handle your disappointment because God is real. He wants a relationship with you. And sometimes relationships get messy. So go to him. Go to him. Pour out your heart. Confess your sin. Cry till you don't have any tears left. Cry until you don't have any tears left. Go to him. Ask him all your hard questions. Grow up. Be more honest than you ever imagined with God. God is real. God loves you. He isn't going anywhere. He isn't going anywhere. So where is the joy of the Lord when all hell is breaking loose around you? Where is the soul salsa when you got, can I quote an old song, guilty feet, got no rhythm? Where is the soul salsa then? What is the secret to a life-giving life? It is simply this. It all lies on the other side of honest repentance before God and embracing a true relationship with God. Melissa asked me, she said, you're starting this new Soul Salsa series, right? I said, yeah. She says, you're starting with Psalm 10. I said, yeah. She said, why? I said, because it comes after nine. You see, I truly believe that if we take the Bible as it comes, that over the course of time, we'll get everything we need. Sometimes God loves on us. Sometimes God shoves on us. But it's always for our good. And it's always done in love. Come to God this morning. Come to God. Stop making excuses. Move past your pain. Get on the dance floor. And live the life God created you to live. Haven't you lived in the desert long enough? Haven't you been sick and tired long enough? Haven't you lived in frustration long enough? There's path to the abundant life. And this is it. I'm so grateful for this song. I'm going to invite the musicians to come up. Uh, we're going to have some folks up front and in the balcony that would love to pray with you. And maybe this is just a morning you say, you know what? I just need to plant my flag here. I need to change my way of thinking. The way I'm thinking, the way I'm going about things is getting me nowhere. And I need to take my stuff to God. And we need to get this worked out. And I want to suggest to you, this altar is open if you want to come and pray. You say, well, 
I, I want to pray a long time. Go right ahead. We'll just start the next service. You just stay and pray. If you're still here on Thursday, I'll send somebody in. We'll dust you. All right? Just stay and pray. Do what you need to do. Break through. Get your victory today. It's there. Is it easy? Heavens no. We live in a fallen world. But it is there for you and for me. Jesus saw to that on a cross on Calvary. Would you pray to me? Pray with me. Dear God, this is really a hard psalm because it hits us right where we are. It's a psalm that finds us right at our own address. Dear God, we like to hear how wonderful we are. And we are. We don't like to be confronted with our own sin. But we are all sinners, every single one of us. Thank you for loving us enough to tell us the truth about ourselves. Thank you most of all for loving us enough not to just leave us in condemnation with that truth. But because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we can find forgiveness and restoration and the abundant life you have for us. Dear God, for some, the dance floor of the soul salsa is not all that far away. For some, they feel like they can barely even imagine that it's there. But thank you for your word. That always starts us on the right path. It always takes us in the right direction. And it always takes us to a place that leads to life. And life abundantly. In Jesus' strong name. Amen. God is real. He loves you. He can handle your pain. Take it to him. Take it to him. Let's stand. Let's just worship you.